Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Guma. And uh, joining me to take your questions this evening are Jean-Pierre Verstaff from Protea Capital Management and Trigas Komring from Capicraft. Do send uh, those questions uh, to us via SMS to 41392 or you can email us at stockwatch uh, at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Thanks, gentlemen, for your time and happy Valentine's Day, as you can see. I'm in that Valentine's Day mood. <laughs> um, let's start off. I don't know what mood, what mood the markets are in. It's seeming like in the U.S. they're in a Valentine's mood because we've just seen those markets going into red territory. And I just want to ask from you, JP, how have you taken that U.S. inflation print? Because it seemed that those markets were okay with that print until uh, about um, after 6 p.m. and seemed that sentiment had, had changed drastically. So what are you making of that print? Yeah, Z Zanati, I've uh, a while back decided that I don't give too much weight to individual uh, macroeconomic announcements, especially if they are historical in nature. I fully understand that there are certain investment processes that are based on macroeconomic outputs. Mine is not. Mine is more company specific. And I can tell you it puts less stress on my shoulders to <laughs> rather go through company specific result announcements versus central bank or statistical service announcements and try to figure out why a certain inflation number is what it is or a GDP growth rate it is what it is. So those questions are too hard for me and that's why I pass <laughs> them on to people who are cleverer than Trikas, um, do you want to have a go? Because it seemed that uh, that inflation print has really put investors on the wrong side of trade today. Yeah, there was nothing strange about the inflation print um, mm. it's more or less what was expected headline came in a bit higher than expected and uh, and the, the the one that Powell will be watching so it's all about monetary policy you know what's Powell going to read into this and what's going to be monetary policy going down the line that's what markets will be trying to read into this um, and the, the one figure inside there that he is looking at is the uh, core inflation services X housing. <laughs> so that's mm -hmm. a mouthful. Basically, it's services inflation without the housing component. Housing lags a lot. That came in about 0.27% month on month. You know, it sounds like semantics, and it, it, it is. It's about the trend. The trend is, is, is pointing downwards. There's a bit of a disinflationary trend. The markets would like that, but maybe that's already priced in. We had a big rally in January um, up until um, early Feb. And maybe a lot of the disinflationary, um, uh, um, let's say, movement within those figures, you know, maybe that's priced in broader perspective, you know, month on month figures uh, won't read too much into it. Look at other economies, though. Inflation is not cooling down, not in the euro area, not in Japan, not in most emerging markets. It's not cooling down. Um, and I do think I agree with John Pierre that we are giving too much too much weight on a single data point here mm. um, and, and rather just step back a few points, look at the bigger picture and uh, focus like JP does on your core competencies. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get straight to the viewers' questions. I'm considering entering the REIT space again after selling some time ago. I'm considering an investment in ATTAC and would like to hear the panel's view and if the current share price is a good entry point. I was actually saying yesterday that I was so bumped because last week I do have some attack and last week I was just thinking, I mean, there hadn't been any major catalysts. So 
the price still looked good and I was like, let me, let me top up. But then I never got to it. And yesterday it had that big spike in the share price after that announcement of the investment of the, the uh, GPF of 2.8 billion. Uh, what are you thinking about Attic right now, uh, JP? And if it is uh, at a good price to buy or, or not? Hmm. So the, the problem in general for the REIT sector, whether in South Africa, in Europe or in other jurisdictions, is that the debt levels are generally too high within these REITs and that the rental income is under pressure. It's not just not growing at a rate that keeps up with inflation because of rental reversions when a rental contract comes to an end being negative and deeply negative it means that the income is shrinking while with higher interest rates the interest expense is growing so that is not a happy position to be in and what the tech has done very well with this deal between the gpf and their waterfall development company is that they've addressed now the debt it makes a significant difference to them to be selling it only a slight difference to its net asset value, a significant stake, which means it's a significant inflow of cash to, uh, to uh, pay back a lot of that debt. It brings down the, the debt, and that means that all of a sudden, um, a tax looks, looks quite attractive, I would say, because now it's still a, a trading at a significant discount to its own net asset value, but the debt issue has been addressed. So I'm optimistic about ATTAC, even after this deal, it is literally a transformational deal from what ATTAC was, which was over-indebted like most REITs, to where it is now, which is a stable, strong position. Yeah. Uh, Drikas, does this uh, deal uh, set ATTAC apart from the other REITs? Uh, well, some of them, but I don't think ATTAC is the only REIT. Well, I'm not sure ATTAC is a REIT. No, it's just a property developer. Um, uh, but it does set it, so it does set it apart. You know, it's different. Yeah. But I do think there's a lot of other property companies, including REITs on the JC, that might be working on deals at the moment that are degrossing. Some of them have already done a lot. And I think there's a bit more to, to you know, a bit of the financial engine, engineering that have, uh, you know, that is being undone. And that's that's a good thing. It de-risks them. You know, it's all about the capital cycle. You know, there was too many property uh, spaces going up, you know, pre let's say 2018 um we we live in pretoria you know there's if you if you walk down the street you walk into two shopping malls um so you know it's spoiled for choice but you know that there's a bit of an oversupply and that overhang is slowly but surely starting to disappear retail does look better than it did two years ago and it certainly does look better than office space so i think there's a big distinction that you have to draw between retail uh, property um, space and office uh, office i think does um you know face it in structural headwinds still um which um retail was faster to you know to address uh all right uh, talking about financial engineering uh there's a question here is coronation a buy or hold for now of course we do know the financial engineering uh, that's uh, happening there with the impact of the tax implication on their earnings and therefore dividends so um, and actually, this is one that I'm really happy about because last week when it had that um, that crash of 11%, I actually got more coronation. So, <laughs> JP, buy or hold or sell? It's an interesting one. And uh, Zanati, let me first say, I like the way you are thinking. You're not being driven by what the crowd is doing. <laughs> you are looking for an opportunity to be a contrarian and do the opposite of what the crowd is doing. Call That's me Warren Buffett. Call so me Warren Buffett. <laughs> 
Now, look, it doesn't always work to do just the opposite of the crowd. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, most times, if one does the opposite of the crowd, that has got a better chance of leading you to profits. I do think that um, it could be potentially quite a big uh, uh, tax that they need to pay for, for what has happened. It will be interesting if they take it to the constitutional courts. Um, there's some question marks whether there are constitutional grounds. Probably not. So it was just bad tax structuring in the way that they structured their offshore operations. Now, the question is, if, if, you, if, if that is the only issue, I think our nation is cheap and I think it's a buy here. The question is whether the negative sentiment and negative news around it means that some people say, hmm, maybe I shouldn't invest in coronation funds. And that second order effect could be negative. I'm hopeful that the brand is so strong that they won't have a negative second order effect. And therefore, I think at the current price, it's attractive uh, rather than the opposite. Yeah, um, yeah, quite interesting that you talk about the perception because we do know that there are stocks that are vulnerable to that kind of perception. For example, MTN. Um, Drikas, on your side, Coronation, what's your sentiment there? Yeah, well, I've, I've said previously on the show, I think it's cheap, um, but it's not the only asset manager that's cheap. The problem is that, that it's big for our market, and now the, the market where it's a smaller player in, that's where the tax problem is. And what they actually just, you know, what they will do is to address the problem going forward is do better structuring, move some of their personnel offshore so that, you know, SARS can't use the same same argument going forward. So they will mitigate it going forward. But uh, I, I do think, and I'm not a lawyer, but, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's a fine to be paid here, a fine and, you know, uh, uh, taxes going forward. So price that in, you know, probability is uh, leans towards that. Um, but yeah, there's a, uh, I think it's cheap here, but like I said, there are a lot of asset managers out there listed you know, outside the JSE that you can also look at. The problem is it is a beta play on the market. So you get a dividend yield, but it's a beta play on the market. And if you're not, if you don't think the markets are cheap in general, uh, you know, uh, then I prefer to go with the asset manager that's doing something a bit different. Maybe it's playing in the alternative space Maybe it's stealing market share from the likes of Coronation. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm not completely there. Ah, all right. Um, well, uh, the same viewer had a question on African Rainbow Capital. Um, so saying that African Rainbow Capital Investments is outperforming some of the major stocks in my portfolio. What are the panel's thoughts on its current levels during the, uh, this economic period of uncertainty and load shedding? Do you think they will announce some good interim results in March? Yeah, there has been quite a spike in that share price. Anything specific um, that you can uh, point to, uh, JP? Well, if you look at their portfolio, Time Bank is an important asset for them. Rain is an important asset for them. And then there's a long list of other assets as well. Um, so I don't have any firm view in advance of their results, how strong those can be, because those businesses are not public businesses. So you don't have a lot of data points before African Remo comes up with their results to know how some of the big underlying investments of African Rainbow yeah. Capital have done. Uh, so uh, it's still trading at a significant discount to its NAV. My previous criticisms towards the group was that that steep discount was justified because of the nature of their performance fee and not being on a performance per share basis, but an overall performance basis, which means that they don't get penalized with dilution while shareholders get penalized by dilution. Now they have restructured the performance fee. So a lot of that criticism is not valid anymore. 
and um, and they they did take it on the chin and address it. So well done to them. Yeah. So it is currently still at a discount, a little bit uh, narrower. I would prefer to wait for the results and based on how those online companies were doing reassess African Rainbow Capital. Ah, okay. Before we go to break, uh, Drikas, anything to add on African Rainbow Capital's um, outperformance recently? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the, the discount could be justified if you think that those two unlisted companies are overvalued according to, you know, the director's uh, uh, valuation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a question here. Uh, could you please ask the panel if they look at a small cap called Mahube Infrastructure? I do know that they uh, have infrastructure in renewable energy, um, wind farms, and they're also in solar. Drukas? Yeah, they actually don't own those infrastructure itself. They own briefshees with the claim on the assets. So they've actually got a um, quite a nice cash flow profile, a quite stable one. Um, and yeah, so the problem is the, that they've communicated to the market that they've, or for the last, let's say, 18 months or so, they've been trying to restructure Maube. They're trying to get more capital. They're trying to do something with this. Um, and the market hasn't liked what they've, they've proposed. It's quite complex what they've proposed. Um, but just looking at it at the moment, we're sitting, if you can get some just above six rand, it's sitting at a, at a yield of more than 12%. But the problem is that those assets will run out. Renewables aren't forever, but you have to renew them every, yeah. <laughs> every few years. And I'm not sure, but I think that the, the average asset life is about 13 or 14 years. Um, so it's inflation linked, the cash flows that they have. You'll get an increase in your dividend each year, but then there's a waterfall. Boom, and, and it ends. So I have to discount that. Even when you do that, you know, the returns are quite attractive. But... Um, you know, management is busy. They still want to restructure um, Maube. They want to issue more shares. And uh, that is a bit of an overhang at the moment and, and why I'm not touching it. Uh, all right. There's a question here, JP, specifically for you. Uh, JP's views on capital appreciation. Mm, so we own some capital appreciation in our funds and we've owned it for quite a while. I think it's three or four years. Um, we like what they're doing in terms of the payments space, uh, in terms of, for instance, these terminals that they rent out and, and make some income from that, as well as some other uh, systems uh, uh, linked to the payment infrastructure within South Africa. Um, they also had a business that linked up with WhatsApp, the GovChat business. And there was a bit ah. of an issue there uh, when Facebook didn't want them to continue using it. Um, so that has been a bit of a sideshow and been a bit disappointing. But there's so much happening in the payment space that I'm hopeful that as a uh, consolidator, they can continue to make good acquisitions, get a firmer position in this market and keep on growing their profits. So it's one I think it's a small cap that, uh, that looks relatively attractive, attractive to us. Yeah, all right. There's a question here. Please ask the panel where to invest my tax-free money before end of the month. Drikas? Um, I'm not even sure what is on tax-free, what's available within those tax-free investments. I don't, I don't do them. I don't write them. Yeah, I, <laughs> our funds, you know, aren't available there. So otherwise, I would be punting my own fund. Like, yeah. <laughs> we, we're, not, we're not on any of those platforms. Sorry. Uh, JP, do you have an idea? Zanati, the bad news is that the Protea funds aren't on any tax-free platforms either. That's because we charge a performance fee. 
and uh, the the ETF providers have lobbied successfully that you cannot have funds with performance fee structures within tax-free investments. Mm. I don't know if that's fair, but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so I would just suggest to the person that although they have a very short space of time to invest before February in order to get a tax deduction, they should invest with a long-term in mind. And therefore, uh, if they can invest with a long-term in, in mind, you want as much equity exposure as you can possibly get. Mm. So not a a fixed income fund, not a money market fund, uh, for the long term, go for as much equity as possible. And there's quite a list of general equity funds that don't charge performance fees and are on tax-free platforms uh, that you can invest in. So have a look at some of those companies, some of those funds, and, and read the philosophy, the investment philosophy of those companies, and invest in the one that resonates with you, that you like in the way that they think about investment. Mm. All right. Uh, let's get to more questions. Uh, the panel's view on EOH following the successful Rights issue. Trikas, is the worst of the worst over for your age? I have no idea. Over to you, JP. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you waiting for the results? Hard, hard pass. No, I'm, I've, I've, uh, I've learned my lesson with your age. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, we made money with it back in the day and, um, you know, we sold out luckily and then I return to it, yeah. um, but way too soon, um, way too soon. And, you know, uh, once bitten twice, so, so I guess. So, um, no, you know, we've, you've got only a certain amount of time to cover and yeah. there's, uh, there's other stuff to research. So I hope JP can answer the question. Yeah, JP, is this not the turnaround that investors have been waiting for? So, so I can say I also have some uh, um, some wounds from EOH because he's not the only one. Yeah. And um, I also bought it, I think it was roughly two years ago. Uh, the, the one benefit is I bought a little bit and I didn't buy more. So by the time the rice issue came along uh, in the past week, we had very little EOH left because it had dropped yeah. so much. But I do believe that the rights issue is a fundamental change in EOH's prospects. And the share price has dropped so much that effectively the rice issue uh, almost uh, represented uh, the full new market cap of the company post-recapitalization. Okay. So it was almost like an IPO. It was almost like you're buying into a new company. And if you take away the debt issues of EOH and take away a lot of the legacy issues and the fact that they actually sold a lot of very good businesses, unfortunately, they were forced to, we still believe there are a few good businesses left in the current EOH. So at the current price, we believe um, it's it's worth an, uh, a a stab at a at a turnaround story. Mm. Uh, again, we've been disappointed before, so hopefully third time lucky. Yeah, all right. Uh, thoughts on Nasper's at this level? Should one consider taking profits following the recovery, or is there still um, an upside? Of course, uh, the stock uh, has rallied uh, quite significantly because of the, re the reopening of China. Do you think that we've reached the top of that, Drikas, or we might still see more upside? Yeah, it's not only the reopening of China. It's obviously the, re the share repurchase program that they ran. Mm -hmm which um, at long last did close some of the discount. Um, but I think the low-hanging fruit has been plucked here. So um, from here on, you need 10 cents to move and you need some other form of um, value creation within the NASPERS uh, vehicle, process vehicles. Um, there's some e-commerce business obviously also within process. But at the moment, you know, th those are tech-related and um, they've had a good bounce, um, all those, those tech-related shares over the last month or so. But I, I won't put my money on that continuing over the short term, though. 
Yeah. Um, JP, do you take profits or what do you do with Nasbears at this point? Well, I, I we, we are holding it. Yeah. So that's what we're doing with Nasbears. Okay. And there are two reasons. The one is 10 cent. And yes, there's a chance 10 cent falls back further. But we do believe that um, um, there are brighter days ahead of 10 cent, given China's new view regarding large tech companies. We're hopeful there. And the other point is the financial engineering. So we are coming to interesting anniversaries of two previous deals that uh, um, they did. The one was the share swap and the other one was um, the actual listing of, um, uh, of process as well as the end of the current authorization of the buyback. So with that, it could mean that in the next few months we get something else that's announced, a further restructure, a further simplification uh, of the current structure, which is quite complex. So because of that, I would still hold NASPASH both because I'm comfortable with Tencent and I'm looking forward to further work being done on the simplification. Yeah, all right. There's a question here on Richmond. Uh, Richmond seems way overvalued. They had a bad sales update recently and yet share price has done uh, 45 to 50% in three months. Is this short in the short term? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually um, surprised that Richmond has continued the momentum that, that it has. Um, one of the uh, competitors is it, um, it's not Hennessy, it's uh, yeah, one of the major watch, I think they manufacture Rolex. Yeah. I think it's, a, it's Rolex, yeah. They came out uh, uh, in the last week or two and sales were not nearly what the market expected and the, the share price took a plunge. So obviously the share price has run on the back of the China reopening story, um, China traveling demand, you know, a lot of Chinese travelers, they tend to buy, uh, when they travel, they tend to buy gifts for family back home. That's part of, you know, it's a cultural thing or for business trips. Um, so they're traveling in business trips, you know, that's a, it's a big, uh, component of, uh, of their culture is buying gifts. Um, and you know, that should support sales, but a lot of it has been, it's been discounted at this level. Obviously, we ran the the last week or two as as you know kept the rand based price um, on a tear, but I, I think the share price is asking a lot here. Ah, uh, all right. A quick question before we go to your stock picks: JP's views on Brookfield Corporation. Oh, it's been a while since I've looked at Brookfields. Um, I, they've got a great track record of asset management, especially in alternative assets. It's one of the largest companies listed in Canada, but I haven't looked at it recently, so I don't have a firm view about the valuation. Uh, all right. JP, I was uh, going to ask you about the Valentine's uh, shares, like uh, the, the dating sites, um, like uh, Match Group, but it's fine. We've run out of time, um, and I guess the viewers can go read your article on the Financial Mail. Very exciting stuff there. But let's get to uh, your stock picks for today. Drikas, what will it be? Uh, it's um, Banco de Brazil. Banco de Brazil is listed in Brazil. <laughs> um, it's one of the biggest banks, and uh, the the government also has a stake. So just like um, Petrobras, which is uh, also partly state owned, the share is is quite deeply discounted. It's traded at about a three and a half price earnings, about a twelve percent dividend yield, and obviously there's a lot of political risks being priced in. Uh, the Lula government, um, as it has been said that they would like to use the banking sector as well as the energy sector to push some of their agenda 
you know, some of their goals, some of their social goals and agendas. But the problem is, is that um, they only have executive powers at this stage and the opposition is still in control, basically, mm. of the legislature. So I don't see that happening. Um, I think a lot of these risks are being already priced in. And uh, uh, I'd rather own Banco de Brazil at three and a half price earnings than I would own, uh, let's say, APSA at eight, eight price earnings. So, yeah. yeah, there you go. Name of that stock again, Triggers? Banco do Brazil. Banco do Brazil. Brazil. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> JP? Uh, a bit easier to pronounce, Udaiko. A South African company, an yeah. import and distributor of industrial supplies. A few years ago, they were still very much um, exposed to mining and manufacturing. Uh, but what they've done very well as a management team is buy more distribution rights to more commercial products and consumer-related products. For instance, security systems or automotive components. And they came out with results, I think it was a week or two ago, a very strong results, strong profit growth. And what we saw in this week is an announcement regarding the share buyback. And that's what really got me even more excited because I do believe the share is cheap. Um, you might not have great growth prospects, but by the company continuing to buy back their own shares at a discount to what I believe is fair value, they create their own growth on a per share basis. So a very good, good management team, very good capital allocation that they've exhibited. And the fact that the RAND keeps on weakening, which is a structural a tailwind for an importer uh, that holds a lot of stock, I do think that Udeco is, is a solid company for the long term at the current price. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time and for your analysis today. My guest, Jean-Pierre Ferstad from Protea Capital uh, Management and Trigas Combrink from Capicroft. Thank <laughs> you.